Welcome to Get Gig Ready. If you're a music maker, emerging or early in your career, or even a veteran looking to brush up on the basics, we're here to get you close to some amazing local talent to help amp up your skills. Get Gig Ready is presented by City of Ride, Lane Cove Council, the Live Music Office, Music New South Wales, and 2SER, with support from Macquarie University. Today, I'm joined by David Binning, a local musician and journalist. His latest record, Fire in the Blood, was so much fun, I had a chance to listen to it. And before we got on mic, we were talking a lot about how people describe it as having a lot of groove, and also how broad that term is. So David, where do you think that moniker and the sound people are describing in your music comes from amongst your influences? Well, I always find something like that very flattering. And, you know, I guess I'd always been into um, musicians like, like Prince and... I was so many, so many black African American musicians and a lot of funk, James Brown and so forth, have played in kind of groups where you might describe them as kind of funk. I'm not a funk player, yeah, but I think that definitely comes through. It's con- it's a conscious thing for me and and an unconscious thing at the same time, I suppose. In that, you know, a piece to be successful has to sort of feel rhythmically, yeah, right as well. And sometimes quite sort of simple melodic pieces can sort of aspire you to, to want to move and dance. Like I've, I've been going through a big Joni Mitchell phase recently mm. and you wouldn't kind of associate her necessarily with groove, but she has incredible groove. Yeah, sense I mean, of rhythm. Yeah. you were accepted into the Sydney Conservatorium's jazz school and I yeah. think when a lot of people, myself included, think jazz, you think like the technical jazz that uh, will play with your time signatures, play with every level of complexity that you can. But one thing yeah. I really liked is the way that you blended that level of technical competence with that very easy to follow, Mm. uh, I guess, sense of groove, which is a really fun challenge. So how do you go about bridging a level of technical knowledge that allows you to do just crazy things with a sound that is so accessible and inspired by this broad range of different cultures? I think I've got like a nonsense meter. Uh So you can sit down and do your, often when you're doing your practice, and I'm not really a practicing jazz player. I mean, jazz is excruciatingly, excruciating is not the right word. (laughs) It's an exceedingly difficult craft. To be a proper jazz musician, that needs to be your full-time gig, Mm -hmm. you know, as a musician and as everything in your life, and particularly jazz guitar. You know, when I'm going through my practice routines, often something simple will come out of just scale and arpeggio practice and whatever. And it'll usually just be a couple of notes yeah. that resonates and inspires you to do something. Um, and then, you know, when you come into recording, I mean, at, for a guitarist as well, like when you're writing music, there's, there's always this voice in the back of your head like, okay, you need to put a guitar solo in here. <laughs> and that's quite a challenging thing. Yeah. And um, I think I've got one solo on the album. I think I've got a solo on, on, the, on the song Gravity, which yeah. is a very simple sort of modal kind of construction. Um, so really it's just kind of like throwing it all on the wall and then throwing out the nonsense. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's really interesting because one of my teachers when I was first learning the guitar was always like, you're not allowed to noodle when you practice. you got to you got to do scales, you got to do the yeah. songs, and, yeah. and that's it. So, But it sounds like... Noodling is very important. It's very important, <laughs> and it sounds like that's a key part of the way that you come to these creative decisions. So, yeah. you know, when you're studying something as rigorous as jazz, how do you blend learning the technicalities of it while still experiencing something that you can have a creative output from. How do you make noodling useful? Well, look, the jazz artists that really inspired me are fairly minimalists by comparison. So mm. artists like Miles Davis and John Coltrane and especially um, Herbie Hancock, they're, sure. they're the huge giants for me. John Coltrane as a minimalist is an interesting assertion to make. Well, look, so the sol- soloing is one thing, but the, the kind of melodic – and, and tonal structures of the music are mm. another. Yeah. So there's still a lot of space in Coltrane. There's a lot of places where there's just black on the page. Mm-hmm. 
but there's still a lot of space. And Coltrane learned from Miles. I mean, you know, he was Miles' understudy. Well, the other thing that was really interesting, you mentioned you're a guitar player and you have these influences like Coltrane, who's a saxophonist. Yeah. You played all the instruments on the album. How much of that is... I, I play them some better than others. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, there's as, drums in there. I'm not really a drummer. As but we got away with it. Yeah. How, how much did you have to put into learning the, the parts specifically... Uh, for the album and how much of it was a process of actually learning the instrument itself because I know there's a couple of songs that I as a terrible drummer can play fluently on drums just because <laughs> I put enough time into them yeah you know where do you sit on that scale of knowing the instrument to knowing the song ah oh. you mean with your own song or like learning someone else's song or well, both? for you performing on the album how much yeah. was it just a matter of learning each and every hit on each and every instrument and how much it of it was a matter of learning the skills to just be able to perform on the instrument. Yeah, look, I think a lot of it just comes down to determination and concentration, mm. you know, and and it's about the getting the tone right. And again, back to this kind of noodling and throwing out the nonsense. I mean, at the end of the day, like, for instance, I was writing bass lines for, I think it's the last track, mm. um, No Plans, which is kind of like almost a James Taylor-y, picky, pretty little picky thing. Yeah. And I'd been working on the bass, bass line for that for ages and it just really had way too many notes in it. Mm. And and so there were two things wrong with that. Like it had too many notes and so I couldn't play it properly and I couldn't play it in a way that was kind of convincing. Um, and it also didn't sound right either. Even if I'd got to the point where I could have mastered this kind of ridiculously complicated con uh, composition I'd come yeah. up with. So the whole thing was pointless. So again, it was a process of just pulling it back and um, and just ensuring that the tone was really on. Well, yeah, and I think, uh, I, I think that that's also like an interesting thing to about to juggle kind of with a time commitment in terms of how much you allocate to each instrument so that you can get the best out of each track. Mm -hmm. So for you also as a career journalist who uh, works alongside being a musician, how do you balance having those two different parts of your life? And, you know, how do you make sure that music just doesn't get the, uh, the short corner when <laughs> it comes to uh, how much time you have left in a day? Yeah, well, look, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate in that I'd, I've been sort of working in, you know, I, I, don't, I not only work as a journalist, I, I help out um, um, companies with like content and public relations and advice we're getting yeah. in the media and it pays okay. And, and I'm mainly in the tech industry. So last year was actually quite buoyant for people in my kind yeah. of industry. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you, you kind of, here's the thing. So when, when, you, when you decide that you're going to make an album, um, you know, you, you need financial resources to do it. Mm. And, and that's obvious. It's more obvious when you actually start doing it. <laughs> but one, one of the things, one of the things that really positive things that comes out, come out of that or certainly did for me was thinking about, so am I ever going to make a return on mm. this, on this product that I'm producing? Yeah. And thinking more about that. And it's an interesting line that you have to get right, of course, because you don't want to, well, most musicians would say, oh, we don't want to just be commercial. Yeah. We want to actually express ourselves and write and do something that's meaningful and enduring. But having just a little bit of that little small voice in your brain, like what on earth am I doing this for? What's it going to mean financially for me? Yeah. And I don't know, probably a lot of people out there are the same, but for me it was almost my father's voice in the back of my head. <laughs> yeah. like he's very happy that, you know, great, you're a musician, and that's lovely and everything, but what on earth is, are you spending this money on and what's the return? Mm. Well, I think the other interesting thing is I've heard a lot of bands say that uh, for them they often make a loss on the records these days because of streaming because it's mm. kind of difficult to turn a profit that mm -hmm. way unless you're crazy good at pushing yourself with an online audience. Uh, so instead it becomes about having those shows you know, how important is gigging in a local area? Because obviously uh, 
working a career job. You wouldn't be able to do tours all around the world except no. for the odd opportunity. Uh, so I know. could though. I mean, my work, my work lives on my laptop, so <laughs> a lot of people are like that. But yeah, would you ever do that? Actually, is that something that would uh, would ever cross your mind? So like get 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 off stage and like, <laughs> shit, I've got this deadline <laughs> kind of thing. I was, but yeah, it would be. It's kind of like it's kind of like when you hear about these young artists that had become successful quite early in in their careers when they're still at school. Yeah, yeah. and they're doing their homework whilst they're touring. <laughs> totally. stuff. It's almost like. It's homework that you get paid for. So if you've got a good enough pay rate, it's not not a bad bad deal, yeah. Yeah, but the question I was going to ask in there was, you know, how important is gigging in the local area to you? Because obviously you still need to kind of market yourself a little bit as a musician. Does that come from playing locally? Does that come from just standing at the water cooler every spare moment of the day telling everyone about your new album? You know, how do you how do you promote yourself when you can't devote full time to music? Yeah, look, I'm I'm, I'm not that. I'm not that guy that just kind of, you know, goes out and plays to everybody on yeah. every corner and takes every opportunity. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I'm kind of maybe I'm overly sensitive. I thought I was going to get over this when I was younger, but I kind of haven't in older age. But so anyway, I'm planning some dates in Melbourne in early yeah. uh, May. And um and that's gonna be my first opportunity to showcase the EP, which mm-hmm. I think was published in October last year. Yeah. So terrible timing in terms of gigging. I must admit, <laughs> I live in Lane Cove. I've never performed a gig in Lane Cove. Oh well, yeah. yeah. If, there's anyone, if there's anyone out there, I've got to tell you, we are partnered <laughs> with uh, with Lane Cove Council on this show. I'm we, aware. We, yeah, we can link you up and get you a gig. Maybe yeah. maybe we could do a get gig ready special. David Binning in Lane Cove. Yep, that, on that'd, the be, that'd be exciting. <laughs> now, do, pe- do people get paid? Do people get paid for small? So I I've done small gigs over the years, and and when you're not like a a really big artist, it can be quite dispiriting. And every musician listening to this mm. will, will will relate in that the the booking agent will say to you, okay, so um, how many people do you think you'll be able to bring? Mm. And I've got musician friends who've made sort of certain commitments to bringing a certain size audience to their gig and that hasn't been met and they have had to pay the venue. Yeah. And now I just think that's the most hideously depressing outcome for any artist it is it is definitely a, a difficult call, and I mean, I'm I'm not the expert on this. We can, of course, as I said, up on the podcast, we'll have links to get in touch with the local councils here, Lane Cove and City of Ride, uh, for that sort of thing. But it, it it kind of varies, and it's one of those things that you're right. You do have to be careful because, unlike a lot of other industries, there is that chance that you'll end up having to pay the venue for the work that you've kind of done for them, um, and that, as you say, can be really disheartening. But it's also something that comes with the territory and you need to find ways to maneuver around that. Yeah. So Well, the world doesn't know you were living and especially certainly not as an artist. Yeah. yeah. I think based on the other musicians that we've had on the show here, one of the things is to make sure that you're partnered up with other musicians who have drawn crowds reliably so that you start to draw your own crowds. Then you become that reliable musician to bring up the next artist underneath you. And it's, it's a matter of networking and finding those other people in your local area to make sure that you have those connections so that you can bring your music uh, along with an audience so you don't end up in that situation you refer to. Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing I'd add as well, I'm just going back to your, your questioning about the recording process and playing all the instruments yeah. and so on. Um, I, I want to give a shout out to the um, studio that I recorded the EP at. It's Crash Symphony in, in um, Neutral Bay. And um, and Stuart Havel and James England, who are the producers and engineers there, what what was amazing about working with those guys is they were kind of down for my process, which is recording most of the the grunty stuff at home. Yeah. So doing everything like the bass lines and a lot of the guitar work, and then working with them and the pair of them just have like bionic ears. And yeah. Amazing musicians. 
and and having like really professional ears on the job as well. And, you know, there's a fair bit of tweaking, you know, like in that last track, there's, that's a very complicated um, finger-picking guitar piece I do on, on, yeah. on No Plans. It was pretty much nailed in the studio, <laughs> but not 100%. But, you, ne- you know, you need people that have the skills that can just move things like, a, you know, a half space and, yeah. and do little tiny adjustments and, and to kind of lend their, you know, their, their views on what, what could happen sonically and plugins and all of that sort of world yeah. of stuff. Well, I mean, that's so the interesting really critical, thing about yeah. working uh, with professional engineers is that you kind of have to have those discussions and you say that they were very much along your wavelength of doing the grunty stuff at home. Mm. Um, I, I think it's really good to when you get in the studio to have those conversations with your engineers so you know what ballpark you're working in because mm. there are some engineers who on principle alone will be purists and not retime things, not repitch things. But sometimes on a smaller budget as an independent musician, that's just not practical. Um, and it's good to always have that discussion to make sure that you know the people you're working with share I guess, the same set of values about what the final product will represent. Yeah. Because I think the record sounds great. And, you know, knowing you. <laughs> that it's been retimed, goodness, sh- shocking. I'll never be able to listen to it again. <laughs> yeah, you know. I shouldn't have said that. No, no, sorry, I'll, cor- I'll correct that. It was, it was immaculately played. <laughs> it was immaculate. In, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's good to hear that there's, you know, there's almost a level of honesty that comes with the quote-unquote dishonesty of retiming things because when you're doing everything yourself, you have to own up to your limitations. And that's why a record like this is so inspiring to listen to Mm. because I think as someone who's worked with a lot of musicians, like, oh man, you know, the amount of effort that you, David, would have put in to do all of these tracks on instruments that you didn't main, as you said, is so fantastic. Music's hard and and most musicians have insecurities. The greatest musicians have insecurities. What's interesting about the studio environment when you're working with producers and and engineers is they don't have any of that. Mm. And if you're not kind of emotionally, I'd, I'd like to dispute that claim as a studio engineer. Oh, okay. but I'll let you finish well, they, your point. They have they have vastly <laughs> less of it. Let's agree on that. Let's agree. <laughs> okay, let's agree okay. on that. I can sell that one. You can sell that one. Um, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that in, unless you are already prepared um, to to record and also prepared emotionally to be told you you're playing in in you know in some areas might not be yeah well it, it might not even necessarily be it's not that it's the great playing it might be that a, a different player is required for a different part yeah. and so that's that's kind of a fairly brutal awakening when you go to a studio with your own work and you start dealing with professionals whose stock and trade is getting music ready for the market yeah um, and that can be you know that can be quite confronting if you're not prepared for it mm-hmm. so it's you've got to have your chops right you've got to practice your vocals you can't just pretend that you're going to go in and feel right on the day and it's all just going to feel yeah. good because it hardly ever happens that way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a slog and it's all a matter of just being in the best shape you can be yeah. when you get in the studio. And the best shape is never going to be the perfect shape, but it's got to be the best. I like how you put that. Well said, Felix. Thank yeah. you. Well, David, it has been a pleasure having you here on Get Gig Ready. Thank you very and, much uh, for having me. Uh, we will have links up alongside the podcast to the album. Now, we wanted to feature a track alongside this discussion, David. Could you tell us a little bit about the track that you've chosen uh, to feature here on Get Get Ready. Gravity is the track. Um, yeah, it's sort of kind of loosely about the question of why certain people encounter certain people and then the corollary of that is why certain people don't encounter other people and then within kind of in a romantic context, you know, so that the chorus is, you know, um, stop, stop trying to make sense. It's not for us to know gravity. So that's that's loosely what it's about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so me, me trying to bring physics to 
you know, sort of concepts of quantum science and physics, and I'm turning into a wrong one now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really what it's about. So yeah, it's it's a romantic song, a romantic song, and um, you know why do certain people meet each other and why do certain people not? Well, yeah. there you go. Astrophysics about love. <laughs> David Binning here on Get Get Ready. Yeah. Everything else is bad. I don't know where we started. I think we're not supposed to stop trying. Stop trying to mix it It's not for us to know Gravity 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 the we've been, we've been held before The different people there And the same times We'll be over there one day, maybe We'll have never even met I could fall down the drain To your window Talking in your sleep, start Stop trying to make sense. Stop trying to make.